Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. What a joy each and every Saturday to be with you, bringing you the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery with Clapper Vision so that you can visualize. My knee hurts. How come it hurts? And the doctors keep telling me I'm fine. The x-rays, the MRI, they're all normal, but they hurt. And I saw a patient this week, and when I felt her knees, both of them, you could feel a crunch, crunch. Noise is never anything to worry about, but if it's painful, something's the matter. You look at her plain x-rays, the front view, the side view, fine. She had an MRI, normal. But I did an x-ray that not everybody does called a sunrise view. Basically, you bend your knee and the x-ray is taken from an angle. You know how in the movie business they go POV, point of view from the point of view of looking underneath your kneecaps and to see how they ride in the groove in your knee called the femoral trochlea. There's a groove, there's a valley, and there's a mountain. The, the mountain lives in the valley. There's a ridge in the back of your kneecap, and it should ride true down the center of that groove in your kneecap, in your femur, keeping your kneecap right down the center particularly in women, teenage girls, but even when teenage girls grow older to be grown women, more than men, those kneecaps on that view you can see are tilted to the side. So instead of wearing down the center, they wear it off to the side. It's kind of like the, the shoes. Take your shoes off, look at the soles, look on the bottom. You don't wear your shoe out evenly on the bottom. You wear that corner on the side. You don't wear your shoes out equally. Well, if your kneecaps are tilted the way you're born, it's called a lateral patella tracking syndrome. And you can actually start to scrape up the cartilage and wear it out prematurely in one spot rather than sharing the load. The clapper vision is also about horseback riding. You want to ride a horse and keep him going straight? You pull on the leather, the leather reins on the right side and the left side of his head the same equal amount, but you want the horse to turn right you pull the reins to the right. You want them to turn left. You pull the leather strap to the left. But to have that horse ride straight and true down the center, there's a balance. The left and the right leather straps, reins have to be equal. Well, your kneecap is like the head of the horse. There's something called the retinaculum. The medial and lateral retinaculum are those leather reins on either side of the horse's head. That's what your kneecap is like. Many people are born where they're pulling one of the leather straps more than the other, the left side, the lateral side, more than the medial side. And you start to tilt the kneecap and you wear it out prematurely. And that is what causes knee pain. And people really don't pay attention to that view. Anyway, there's your clap revision for you. And we'll open the clinic later. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But I want to talk about today's topic, which is 
all about this guy. You made my soul burning fire. You're getting to be my This is Stevie Wonder. My guest coming up at 8.15 is a young orthopedic surgeon who's starting out this week, actually. But he's talented in his brain, in his hands, and in his heart. And he is a prodigy in the world of surgery. And we'll get into that conversation in a little bit. But it made me think all week because I love the world of art, the world of sports, as well as the world of surgery, what does it sound like in a prodigy when you have those gifts before anybody else? Stevie Wonder had those gifts. Listen to Barry Gordy talking about, I almost didn't sign Michael Jackson because of the service I went through with a prodigy, kids, and with the teaching and the tutors and the whole bit, particularly the mom can drive you crazy. I almost didn't sign Michael Jackson because of what I went through with that prodigy, Stevie Wonder. What was it, the first time you saw the Jackson family when Michael Jackson came in, what were your first impressions when you, when you saw them perform in front of you? Well, I was floored. Uh, I, when I saw them perform, I was really floored. But I did not want a kid's group because I had Stevie Wonder and, you know, chaperone teachers. <laughs> and his, his mother was really tough. So <laughs> I did not want a kid's group at all. Lula May, that was his mom. She said to Barry Gordy, don't you take my son's money. <laughs> I love this woman. Oh, it's Stevie Wonder's mom was tough. See, Lula, yeah, yeah. She was really tough. I mean, she wanted everything. And I didn't even like his singing. <laughs> I mean, what I liked was his harmonica playing because he was so great as a harmonica player. And uh, his singing voice, I did not like. Can you believe that? This is, by the way, what it, this is Barry Gordy later introducing this kid, 10-year-old, for his harmonica playing. Listen to his harmonica. This is a 10-year-old. Stevie Wonder! He liked the harmonica, but he didn't want to have to deal with his mom. He was a prodigy. Here's more from Barry Gordy about Michael Jackson. A prodigy, as well as Stevie Wonder. And she said, but he's my son. He's going to be a star. And, uh, you know, but don't take his money, you know, and things like that, you know. So you didn't want to sign the Jacksons because of the possible complications in case Lola got involved? Well, they had... had... (laughs) No, 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 no. No, they, 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 they had parents, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, he did, that Michael Jackson. And so what won you over? What did you see in, in that family, in those kids, in Michael in particular, that made you Well, realize? Michael was, of course, he was, he was phenomenal because he could dance like James Brown. He sang like Jackie Wilson. And uh, even though he was maybe 10 years old, he looked like he was two years old. And he was singing like he had been around for 30 years because he was singing a love song uh, that Smokey had written and uh, it was like a song for a man who had lived through love and pain for 30 years. 
he was just incredible. That's what a prodigy is. You're a little kid, but you're like a person who's lived a life already. What about in the world of sports? Yes, there's Kobe Bryant, right out of high school. But the year before Kobe came out of high school to the NBA, there was Kevin Garnett. Kobe was a prodigy, but so was Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was fully intending on going either to Michigan or to North Carolina. So talented. Seven feet tall, but used to tell everybody, I'm only 6'11", so he can play other positions. So he's not just stuck under the basket. But it was visiting his friend in college. You'll hear him tell this story when he realized, hey, I don't want to have to ask the coach for the key to open up the gym. I need the freedom to do what I want. I've got the talent. I've got the intelligence. This is Kevin Garnett telling you the aha moment when he realized, I ain't going to college, and here's why. Let's go to jail, man. Let's say, hold on, we got to go ask the assistant coach to here, give us the keys that open up, and they can't. Yeah. I'm coming from, I come in when I want. I got my own place. Yeah. You know, it's me and my sister in here. I don't have any curfews in here. You know, I got to get up at a certain time, so I'm in. So I'm on the system. I'm like, you got to go ask who? Oh, man, we can't just go in the gym. No, we can't just, and I was just... I can feel myself being frustrated with that. Okay. Having to, not that I have problems with authority or none of that, because right. that wasn't the case, but I had have, I have, I got to a point where I wasn't asking anybody nothing. I was creating my own, and mm-hmm. with that. This is Kevin McHale talking to Kevin Garnett. Kevin McHale was the GM in Minnesota who actually signed him. No, I'm doing it the way, the right way. I'm doing it, you know, with no intent. It's coming from a good place. No, this is... No, this, this is what I'm going to do. Okay. And kind of went from there. Okay. Didn't have the formula yet right. to get to the league, but... Yeah, but you knew you were going to get... I, I knew you knew I, you were going there at that I point. I knew I was not going to do the norm. Here's David Stern selecting in that draft Kevin Garnett, but listen to Kevin McHale tell you what watching him in practice that first time was like. Fifth pick in the 1995 NBA draft... The Minnesota Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett from Farragut Academy in Chicago. Now, you get to Minnesota, you know, a whole new world kind of opens up to you, and practice starts. Your first practice, you worked so hard, you were laying on the ground when practice ended. And I remember going to the trainer saying, he gave up so much energy, there's no way he's going to be able to bring that same energy in the second practice. But you did. Yes, he did, Kevin McHale. But you did. What gave you that just unbelievable energy when you stepped on the floor to play basketball at such a high level and just at such a high energetic level and to be able to do it day after day after day? Kev, you know me. I'm super competitive. Mm -hmm. Just like when Billy was busting my ass in the front yard and I had to get to that point. You know, this is, I felt like this is my chance. This is the chance I was sitting, looking out the window, praying about. This is it. What are you going to do with it? So I've always made a point that every time I hit the floor, leave everything out here. What makes you a prodigy is the ability to also pay attention to wise elders who came before you and soak up all their information. This is Kevin Garnett telling Kevin McHale, thanks for telling me not to go to KFC and Taco Bell anymore. How did you play 13 seasons for the Boston Celtics and win all those rings? You got to teach me. 
I'll never forget that, because I came to you, and I was so, so, like, that had to be the most hurt I was in for a while, man. I, I, I tell you, I had a fresh body. Yeah. I, look, to that day, I don't even know what that feels like anymore, right? But I remember I said, Mag, man, you did this for high. He said, yeah, brother. I, yeah, brother. Did it for 13 years, brother. Hey, look, it gets easier. I said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, just keep going, young fella. Just keep going. I'll never forget that. You mess with me. Yeah. I mean, I was going to Taco Bell and yeah. KFC to get some chicken. <laughs> you was like, oh, brother, you're going to have to quit eating now. Oh, no, no. But you know what, Mac? I never wanted to let you down. Yeah. I never wanted to let Flip down. And I didn't want didn't. to let myself down. I, told, I promise you, you didn't. That right. was the first day, again, I watched you. And I was like, man, this guy just brings such an unbelievable amount of energy. Being a prodigy means you're smart enough to every day learn something else during the process. Because you're not going to college in the case of Kevin Garnett. you got to learn it some way. Because what's really the truth behind the art world, the sports world, the surgery world. The education occurs. You just got to have your eyes open. Pay attention. Listen to Kevin Garnett talking about paying attention. You know, I got my ass kicked and it was cool um, because from that I started to learn. I could say every night I made it my point to learn something every night and to apply it. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing, Mac. I just knew I was competing yep. and I knew I was catching little stuff. I knew what he did the first time, I wasn't gonna go for it the second time. Like I was just, I was just on job training and it was just going fast. Once the ball gets popped up, go up in the air, man, it is going. So from that, I like to think that I was able to keep up. I was able to process as fast as it was going, I was able to process. But Kevin Garnett couldn't make it happen in Minnesota. 12 seasons and he tried his hardest. He then came to the Boston Celtics. But when you come to the Boston Celtics, the man you got to sit down with has 11 rings as a Celtic, the great Bill Russell. But it's a beautiful thing when the wise elder can sit down with the, the young one. The warmth, the transfer of information. Dr. Ranawat did it with me, and I'm going to do it with Dr. Debbie. Bill Russell is going to do it with Kevin Garnett, and he tells him, Young fella, you keep doing this, you're going to win rings. But if you don't, I'll even give you one of mine. How touching this is. Bill Russell with Kevin Garnett. The tradition that comes uh, with this organization, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be a part of that, and I just want you to know that first off. When you come in here and you put the green on, responsibility comes with that. Every time I suit up, I think about that. I think that you're going to win at least two or three championships here, okay? And if you don't, but I see you playing the way you should play, I'll share one of mine with you. Wow, how you like that? And finally, Bill Russell is going to mentor him. That's the key. Part of being a prodigy is one thing. The talent of that person, Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. But you still need to be mentored. I was mentored, and you as a person who was mentored need to mentor someone else, the young one that's coming behind you. I tell you, this, this is a genuine friendship thing I'm talking about. 
But if you play the way you play and you dedicate yourself to doing it, they will come. It's like they feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. You may have to put your arms around a couple guys and take them with you. But you can't put, drag them. You got to put your arms around and take them with you. Okay? And uh, I, you have no idea how proud I am of you. I couldn't be any more proud of you than I am of my own kids. And, uh, and I see you at number five. That's close to six. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Russell was number six. <laughs> what a beautiful story, but that's life. The mentor and the mentee. Coming up next, we're going to talk about it in the world of surgery. My guest, the great Dr. Eitan Deby. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. On LA, this is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. I just called to say I love you. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to talk to my next guest, the great Dr. Eitan Deby. Eitan, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us. Haha, <laughs> this isn't that early. Great to be on the radio, and it's, uh, it's an honor to be on the radio with you. Uh, it's my pleasure. I hope I'm not giving you too much pressure comparing you to Stevie Wonder and Kevin Garnett. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm humbled by the comparison. Hey, <laughs> God bless you. I... <laughs> we all want to know. We're all excited for you. This week, right? You're starting this week. Starting this week. Oh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a dream come true. You know, it's been, it's been 17 years of really higher education, if you think about it, after high school. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's very, very exciting. Um, I really feel privileged uh, to to begin this week. Uh, to, again, it's a dream come true. Yeah. Um, as you've mentioned multiple times, it's you know I I love what I do and you love what you do. It's it's really an honor and a privilege to to treat patients and and make their lives better. Um, and I'm excited to start. Let us all know a little bit about your journey. Where did you grow up? What your dad do for a living? And where? What happened that Cupid shot an arrow in your heart that said, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon? <laughs> so I was born and raised uh, in New York, um, Queens, and then Long Island. Uh, my father was uh, an ophthalmologist, and he was also an oculoplastic surgeon. So I grew up watching um, his videos on kind of VHSs that he would, um, <laughs> plug in and watch his own videos. Uh, today we do it, uh, with YouTube and on the cell phone. But, uh, but at the time, um, when I was very, very little, some of my earliest memories were watching those videos and, and watching him, uh, uh, operate with his own hands mm. was really mind blowing to me at the time. So I think even, at, you know, even early on, 
um, I already had this passion for, for, for surgery and working with my hands. Mm. Um, and a lot of that stemmed from my father. Um, he was also ex-military, um, and, uh, and he, he taught us well. He taught us how to work hard, fight for what we want, um, and fight for what we believe. And, um, you know, after, uh, you know, growing up after that, I went to college at uh, Yale University. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, at Yale, I actually graduated early, and I worked at a at a startup company um, in technology. And um, I realized there that um, with innovation, research, and technology, you can make your impact even that much greater, mm. um, and really affect millions of more patients. Mm. And um, beyond being a doctor, so. I kind of gained that from uh, from my time um, working as in the startup industry um, mm. when I graduated early from Yale. Um, what did your grandfather so, do, Aton? What did your father's father do? My father's father um, was uh, he was a truck driver and bus driver. Wow! Um, and he believed my father wouldn't. Um, wasn't sure what my father would amount to. So my father also received his truck driving license as well. Hmm. Um, and so my father was the first physician in his family. Um, but my grandfather, um, who I'll always remember, he, he's, he's since passed away. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it will soon be 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, But I'll always remember my grandfather for... Um, his ability to interact with anybody. You know, he was a happy person, able really to uh, interact with anybody and make them happy hmm. within a few minutes. Hmm. Um, I'll always remember that. That's awesome. And, uh, and he, had, he had a difficult life, but, uh, but he was always happy. And, uh, now, he came to Israel? Did he immigrate to Israel, or he grew up in Israel? How, what was your grandfather's story? So my grandfather um, um, was, is a, was born in Baghdad. He was, he, his family is, uh, is Jewish um, from Baghdad. Um, since wow. then, pretty much all the Jews in Baghdad have left. Um, but he was Jewish from Baghdad. And when he, they were all trying to leave Baghdad at the time, and um, when he was born very early on, with I think a week or two, mm. something like that, his mother took a cab from Baghdad to Jerusalem in the 1920s. Wow. And um, so he doesn't remember um, living in Iraq. Uh, he, he grew up his entire life in Jerusalem. Um, so very astonishing story. I mean, so much more on that. And he has another nine siblings and listening to each of their stories is really, Oh my God. That's incredible. The whole, whole other lifetime ago. I can't even imagine taking a cab to the Middle East today, you know? And, uh, I wonder if the cab driver drove back to Baghdad or he stayed in Jerusalem. That's what I want to know. Yeah. I I don't know. I have no (laughs) idea. I actually should ask. Someone must know. (laughs) Someone must know what became of the cab driver. So you just spent a beautiful year in New York city at the hospital for special surgery. My beloved institution, you are not you know, used to someplace like that. Tell us what it was like that very first day that you got to special surgery. So um, I guess 
before that first day, I have to say, working with you and having um, your mentorship behind me, um, you know, built up uh, HSS, which is the Hospital for Special Surgery, um, you know, in a way that to me it really became uh, a dream to go there to train. Mm-hmm. And um, when that dream came true, you know, I think that there is um, this this kind of disbelief you know you're, i can't even believe i'm starting there it must be fake um <laughs> this must not be real um and when you first begin you know there's this this tremendous uh you know m- i guess mental pressure you put on yourself um I'm, you know you're excited you, you can't wait to begin um and i remember my wife at the time is like you know, you're 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 great you know you're good enough you know you're gonna be great just go there and be yourself and uh and uh, we, I started, and I think really what's really incredible about the Hospital for Special Surgery is really that, that everyone, is, everyone is normal, everyone loves what they do, everyone, they're all good people, um, and they're really a pleasure and honor to work with. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think within one day, you know, you get, you get that feeling and you understand that this is the kind of top institution, I think, in the world for orthopedic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they, uh, and they're all just great people and great mentors. So it's really, it really was an incredible place to train. It's almost when you hear LeBron James talk about coming to the Lakers, look at all that he's accomplished in his career. And yet when he talks about coming to what Dr. Jerry Buss built, the legacy that is the Lakers, that's kind of what going to special surgery is like in the world of orthopedics versus the world of sports. You're coming to a place, the Dodgers, you know, this hallowed halls that uh, you now get to be a part of. But it's not fake. It's not just a piece of paper. It's not just the name. It's built on reality. For me, when I first got there, I was amazed that every time i go to the operating room and the surgeon would say, you know, when I do shoulder surgery, I really, you know, I like to elevate the table so the person's sitting up. Let's build this contraption that makes the person sit up rather than lying flat on the operating room table. But at special surgery, they then say, these surgeons, well, if that's working for me, every operating room in the world should have a table that can now sit someone up. I mean, every move you make they think now this is going to change how everybody's going to do it. And it was amazing to me because most people just stay in their lane. All right, this is a cool thing that I just did for this case or this patient. But they don't think like that. They think worldly. And that really rubs off on you. They have a term, drop the mic, Eitan. You walk in a room, you drop the mic. No one can challenge you. Let me tell you. When they say, where did you train? And you go, special surgery. You don't have to say anything else. You can drop the mic. It's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, as you're aware, I actually took longer in my training to uh, earn a PhD in mechanical engineering. So I'm also a doctor of mechanical engineering. And I think starting HSS and watching the surgeons act as engineers and really – figure out ways to improve um, orthopedic surgery in general for, for the entire um, country and world, and also have the, the resources to do so 
fashion than other places, um, it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's like miracles are happening. And it's very, very exciting to, to witness that, learn from that, and, uh, and hopefully one day replicate it myself. So you won a bunch of awards there. What was the research in? My research um, was in hip replacement surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the rare complications of hip replacements can be dislocations mm-hmm. if the implants aren't put in correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is obviously um, a very frustrating complication, both for the patient and the surgeon. My research, we did special 3D virtual biomechanical models, and we rebuilt many, many patients' hips virtually in a computer using a very high-end computer, many, many hips, uh, hip replacement softwares as well as computer softwares. And then we analyzed all these hip replacements to determine exactly what may have caused a potential dislocation and ways to improve it. Mm-hmm. And um, m- part of my results showed that changes in the socket were more effective than changes in the hip stem. So I think um, that's kind of a, something that some surgeons realize, and I think that seeing exactly how they affect change mm. um, will change the way hip replacement surgeons look at the surgery, I think. So um, my research award was part and parcel for that research. Mm. And um and that was very exciting uh, work that could be done at HSS within that one year. I think that's a big deal. Um, and working with a whole team of engineers and surgeons to do that um, uh, really was only possible at a place like HSS in that time frame, in my opinion. Um, and I'm excited to present this research eventually. Well, so. what I find fascinating is you can have a person who's had a successful hip replacement, but as they age and their spine gets stiffer, now how the hip works changes, even though it was functioning, functioning well, 10 years later, five years later, they now begin to dislocate even though they were fine before because the spine is stiff. And that's why I love the new technology called the dual mobility hip, uh, the socket. I just think that's one of the greatest advances we now have in hip surgery and in orthopedic surgery. So when you see me do hips now, you see every patient I do, I put a dual mobility cup in for that reason. And uh, and we saw a lot of dual mobility at, at the hospital for special surgery as well. Um, and it's exciting to see how these new technologies really improve yeah. um, the quality of patient care. Yeah. Um, it's really incredible. And um, as you know, with the, you know, the history of the hospital for special surgery, you see patients come in. You know, decades later with the older type of hip replacement, yeah. you watch the kind of you know, transition from those type of implants to what we have today. Um, and it's very exciting to be a part of it. Did you ever get to spend any time at Caspery up in uh, Livingston Manor, New York? Unfortunately, we did not. Mm-hmm. Um, we tried to make reservations to go up there. Um, you know, I think due to the coronavirus, there yeah. was a lot of demand um, at the hospital uh, for weekend getaways. So, unfortunately, we did not have the opportunity. Um, a friend of ours did go up and said it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you still can do it, by the way. As an alumnus, you can still participate in that. So, 
make sure you put that on your bucket list because it's awesome. And for the listeners, we have, we have. the Caspery experience is unique to training at special surgery because a grateful patient 100 years ago, uh, Senator Alfred Caspery had no children. And when he passed away, he left his estate in upstate New York, not to the hospital, but to the residents of the Hospital for Special Surgery because they had no kids. They had dogs. And one day the dog broke its leg and instead of going to the vet, brought the dog to the Hospital for Special Surgery and the residents there fixed the fractured arm of the dog. And believe it or not, that small gesture of love ended up being a gigantic gift to the residents when uh, Senator Caspery passed away, and it's awesome to be able to experience that. Well, Aton, I'm so excited for you. I'm so looking forward to to mentoring you as much as I can. Your contribution to society is just at the beginning of something that I know is going to be really, really great. So can't wait to see you this week, and I wanted the Weekend Warrior Nation to know that something special is happening at Cedars because you've arrived. Thank you so much, Dr. Clapper. You have no idea how much that means to me. Um, it's really, it's really an honor to, to have you um, behind me, um, supporting me. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, the vote of confidence is, is inspiring to me and I can't wait to begin. Um, and I can't wait to work together. All right. Me too. All right. Aton, thanks so much for joining us today. Warriors, Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show. No New Year's Day to celebrate. No chocolate cup candy hearts to give away. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. A boy's born in hot Mississippi. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great Stevie Wonder. Prodigy on many levels. And this is what a prodigy sounds like in the world of music. Prodigy looks like Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett. And the prodigy in the world of surgery is a beautiful thing to behold as well. Hope you enjoyed that little talk with Dr. Aton Debbie. All right, let's open the clinic, take some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Who are we going to now, Steve Paulette? Michael, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. How young are you? What do you do for a living? 
I'm 47 and I'm in construction. So all right, I love it. All the construction workers are listening to the show, Steve Paulette. Isn't that great? My father up in heaven is felling right now. Uh, he used to have that tool belt with the hammer. Those days they didn't have pneumatic hammers. You had a hammer on your tool belt. You had your screwdriver, your pliers, nails. Just love it. Measure twice, cut once, Michael. Yes, sir. All right. How can I help you? What's uh, up? Uh, I recently had knee surgery. Mm -hmm. in march uh i my knee had dislocated several times over the few years and then it finally just gave out where it was non-weight bearing mm. and so i went to the doctor and he said i needed to have a surgery so i had surgery and then after the, he did a patella release and uh some meniscus cleanup and some scar tissue removed mm -hmm. after the surgery i could not engage my quad muscles at all Oy. Uh, now it's been three months and I can still, I still have issues. I can't, I can't go upstairs. I can't really engage that muscle well at all. Hmm. So I don't know what I should be doing now. Hmm. Huh. This one's a hard one for me to help figure out because I don't know if it's neurologic or is it related to failure of the muscle itself, that the nerves are all working to the muscle, but the muscle itself is detached? You know, the, the, certainly the first step that you need to do now is to see if the surgery was successful in reattaching things of where they needed to be. So you should absolutely have a follow-up MRI, which in essence allows you to look in your knee without doing an operation. Um, that's what you're going to need to do next before you get nervous it'll give you the direction to go and if everything is back where it needs to be the you know your next move would be to just see what's up with the nerve and just like the last call or a nerve conduction study seeing a neurologist but you need to the first step has to be you know is everything where it's supposed to be you should have a follow-up mri for your knee in the case basically where surgery was done and you're not getting the result that you really wanted to get that's how i would proceed Yes, you can say give it more time and ride a stationary bike. You're going to do those things anyway. But if you really feel like you've hit a plateau and it's not improving, that's what your next chest move has to be. And I would strongly encourage you to go to the same place that you had the MRI before the surgery. That should be the same place you go to after uh, the surgery so that they can actually look and compare the two studies uh, and see the difference. All right? All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome, uh, Michael. And uh, listen, you're a total stranger to me. I need you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's all you'll be thanking me. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. All right. God bless you. All right, Warriors. Let's talk about food. That's right. So last week, I talked about the greatest chocolate milkshake that I had, which was in Hawaii. And I finally got the manager of the hotel to reveal to me what the secret. The menu says they make it with Haagen-Dazs ice cream, so that was no secret. But how come it tastes so good? I figured, all right, they gotta put some kind of extra ingredients in. You know what they actually did? She told me. They dump the chocolate ice cream, the Haagen-Dazs chocolate, into the blender. And the only ingredient they add is milk. They don't put chocolate sauce or malted or nothing weird. 
and they just pour enough milk in to change the consistency so that it's this thick, chocolatey, cold, slurpy, amazing experience. And that's the secret, is milk and getting it to be the consistency that you can drink it rather than just being ice cream. As far as today's food, my mouth is watering already because I had them already this morning for breakfast. What you put on your eggs is your own business. Sausage, bacon, salsa. But when you take that trip to Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is what I did one year, I had the greatest breakfast I've ever had in my life. Because in Santa Fe, New Mexico, they grow their own kind of chili called a hatch chili, a green hatch chili. It's really worth it to schlep to Santa Fe, New Mexico, just to have this in every diner and breakfast place I could go to. But now you don't have to, because you can get the Santa Fe Green Hatch Chili, which is already prepared, by the way, at Trader Joe's. It's a jar, and it's called Green and Red Hatch Chilies. It is, but this is what's great about a chili. It blows your head off. I get it. It's it's hot. But the key to the chili is the flavor as well. It's not just that it's heat. It's flavor. And there's all kinds of chilies. We're well aware of the chilies here in Southern California. But I'm telling you, take it from me, Dr. Clapper. The flavor of the green hatch chili is unique. And you get this jar, this green hatch, and you pour this right on your egg. You, you, you know, you feel like you died and went to heaven. It's just incredible. So that's today's food. Next week, I'm excited because my friend Russ, who's from Hawaii, who I surf with, told me I have to go to his secret spot here in Southern California for the best Hawaiian food he ever. He lives in Camarillo. He schleps all to all the way to this place. And I said, okay, Russ, where 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 can I get Simon, which is this it's kind of like pho, the uh the Vietnamese food with the where you have the soup with chopsticks and a soup spoon. My mouth is watering already. But in Hawaii it's called Simon. I said, Russ, where's the greatest Simon in Southern He goes I schlep from Camarillo to this place. Takes him forever. I'll give you a hint. It's in a bowling alley. I am not sending you to go bowling. You get to do that if you want. But this place is the concession stand in a bowling alley. And they're from Hawaii. And they make Simon. He schleps hours to this place. So this week... I will promise you, I will get in my car and drive for the greatest Simon Hawaiian food. And next Saturday, we have a great show planned for you next Saturday. I will reveal where that place is. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back to the next segment, pay some bills, because I want to talk to you about what we're going to do next week. And I have to tell you a story about what's happening right now in the ocean as it involves me surfing i can't believe it i'll tell you all about it coming up next 
here on the Weekend Warriors Show. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. On, it's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. That's right. Mahalo. Aloha. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Ahui hoy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That is the great Michelle Branch and Carlos Santana. Game of love. It is a game. Take it from me. Been married 37 years. It's a beautiful game. They call soccer the beautiful game. The real beautiful game is love. That's what you strive for. And let me give you a secret. You'll find it when you do find a total stranger and just do something nice for them. See how your heart feels when you do that. It's not all about what you can you give me. What can you take? It's better when you give. Can't wait to tell you what we're going to do next week on the show. But the lines are all lit up, so let me do some clap revision and open the clinic. Who do we got, Steve Paulette? Who do you want? Okay, Curtis, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, Dr. Clapper. Love your show. Just Thank you. Just wanted to give you a heads up. I had a question. Like, when you're talking about all these recovery and stuff, I want to know, do you use the, or have you ever heard of the... What the hell's the... Is that a beer that you drive into the operating room? Right? It's even better, my friend. It's actually a medical device that stimulates your blood flow and increases prevention and healing. It's the only FDA to Well, you got what you wanted. You got us to mention them, which I'm sure you have some kind of financial relationship with. So good job for you. All right, Warriors, let's talk about next week. My guest, I'm a carpenter. I love using saws and drills and hammers. I'm a carpenter. If my dad was a plumber, I probably would have been a urologist. And I love pipes and flow. And that's basically how your blood vessels work. Maybe I would have been a heart surgeon if he was a plumber. But a urologist really deals with how the pipes work. 
And my guest next week is going to talk to us about the fact that the floor of your pelvis is what supports the bladder. Well, when women have kids, the pelvic floor gets stretched and pulled, particularly if they have lots of kids. So more so in women than in men. That can break down the floor of the pelvis, leading to all kinds of needs for surgery to reinforce the pelvic floor. And that's what I want to talk about next week. So I started to think already about where do you have a failure in the, in the world of sports, the world of art, that you need to repair the floor itself. So in my research already, I've discovered that the Boston Celtics and their parquet floor By the way, do you know why the Boston Celtics had a parquet floor, which meant they had, rather than length of beams, they had lots of short little beams that were made like a mosaic to make up their floor. That's why it's called a parquet floor. It's because there was a shortage of wood after World War II in America, and they built the building, the Boston Garden, and you couldn't get lumber that was that long. So that's where the whole idea came from. They, they got scraps, basically, and built the floor with those scraps. And you, they then put this floor on top of the Boston Bruins hockey rink. That's what they do in stadiums. You know, you change out here the Kings at the Staples Center versus the Lakers. And that is a skill set of how to, a few hours after the hockey players play, the basketball team can play. And they're basically playing basketball on top of the ice. You can't shut the ice off and have it melt and freeze it again. It has to stay frozen. So you're, in essence, playing basketball in these arenas after World War II of wooden floors sitting on top of hockey rinks. Well, you don't need to know much about carpentry to know that moisture and wood does not get along. What happens the wood starts to warp or bend and get distorted. Well, don't kid yourself. That Red Auerbach, he knew that was happening. And one of the things they would do in practice with the Boston Celtics is learn where the soft spots were on the court. Well, if you're visiting from Los Angeles as a Laker, you got to run up and down that garden with the parquet floor and all of a sudden you go to take your jump shot and you realize, oh my God, the floor just collapsed. And I don't mean collapse it as a whole, but it gave too much. And you couldn't really steady your feet. You're not going to make the basket. Larry Bird, Tommy Heinsohn, Havlicek, all these great Celtics. They had a PhD in how a floor works. Do you think they would go out of their way to fix it? Not only did they not go out of the way to not fix it, but they also love the psychological advantage visiting players had in not being able to figure out where the soft spots were. So I can't wait to look at flooring, just like the pelvic floor supporting the bladder, the pelvic floor in medicine. Well, what about in art and in music? Where do we see failure of the floor? and how to repair it. Oh, I got a good one. He's one of my favorite singers. 
I listen to him in the operating room all the time because of how he sets the tone when I'm doing surgery. For me, having music playing when I operate is very important. Some surgeons want the room to be absolutely quiet, and some of them play hip-hop like you can't believe, and I don't know, I get a headache just listening to what's going on in the room. God bless the younger generation. But I love listening to George Michael. Now you say, what does George Michael have to do with the floor coming out? Well, George Michael had a contract with Sony, and he felt that that contract really blocked him from being the creative spirit. As a, He was not only a singer, he was a songwriter. And he felt it was like slavery, this contract, and did his best to try to get... He even took them to court. And guess what happened with the court case? He lost! The floor came out of the bottom of his career. He took him to court and he lost. His only next move for George Michael was to quit, to walk away from his career, his life, his passion. How did his floor get fixed? That's what we're going to talk about because you're not going to believe what happened to George Michael after We'll be talking to a urologist next week who's a specialist in fixing the floor. Who fixed George Michael's floor? What happened with the Boston Celtics and their parquet floor? Can't wait till next Saturday. Until then, I'll see you on the radio and I leave you with Volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Thanks for telling your friends and have a good week. Nel cielo infinito Volare Cantare Weekend Warriors on Facebook Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.